You're listening to the According to Me podcast with Veronique Medrano. On this week's episode, we get to chat with Stephanie Guerra, a.k.a. Puro Pinche S.A., the founder of Puro Pinche, a culture and entertainment website focusing on authentic San Antonio living. Stephanie talks to us about her experiences working in the marketing industry and leveraging those experiences as a San Antonio native to become one of the leading influencers, talking about the Puro San Antonio culture. As some of you know, early in 2020, I was in an accident. The consequences that you have to live with after can be a lot. You can lose your car, you can lose work and therefore money. And you can of course be super injured and have huge hospital bills to pay. No bueno. So if like me, you've been the victim of an accident, you need a professional to help you get the care you need. In case of an accident, you need a lawyer to protect your rights and your wallet and you don't have to look any further than that simple phrase by going to the URL incaseofanaccident.com for a free consultation 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if the person that suffered the accident wasn't you, but maybe it was your tia or your abuelita or something, don't worry. Everyone at In Case of an Accident speaks Spanish. They can even take messages through WhatsApp at 888-990-0911. So if you or a loved one have suffered through a horrible car accident like me, visit the team at incaseofanaccident.com for more help. Just don't forget to tell them that Veronique Medrano from Accordion to Me sent you. This is the Accordion to Me podcast where we talk to different guests about their life accordion to them. And my name, your host, is Veronique. <laughs> and we have a wonderful guest today, uh, one of my really, really great amigas, Tejana, born and raised, Stephanie Guerra, a.k.a. Puro Pinche S.A., a lifestyle and culture content creator from the beautiful city, what I call my second home, San Antonio, Texas. Hello, Stephanie. <laughs> Hi, Veronique. Hola. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I love the name of your podcast. <laughs> I love accordions. I grew up on them. That's such a puro thing. <laughs> I know, right? Like, puro, puro lifestyle all the way. Now, Stephanie, tell us a little bit about about you and and just your rise to fame in the <laughs> lifestyle and culture content creating. And I'd like to just really stress, especially in the Hispanic, Mexican American, Latinx, Tejana space because there's so few people that do it and do it well. So when did you, when did you feel that shift from where you were to where you are now? Well, I'm actually um, going into my 12th year of Puro Pincha. So um, I don't know if I'm famous, like you said, but maybe SA famous or South Texas famous, but I started noticing a shift in what I was doing, which initially started on Tumblr, and it was a culture blog that would highlight events and music, art, and culture in the San Antonio community that a lot of the mainstream media overlooked or, you know, people weren't able to afford advertising. So it was um, a lot of local DIY 
people in the community that needed help. Um, and I tried to give them a platform to do that with my event listing, show listing, went from Tumblr, started getting a, a lot of reblogs, um, started that in 2010, officially under the name Puro Pincha, uh, did it a few years before then, but afterwards, um, 2013 started producing my own events as Puro Pincha and then people started showing up to them and um, then I noticed you know a lot a lot of people showing up to events like hundreds of people showing up to events that I would organize or help organize and noticed that hey this a little blog that I started is really taking off and becoming an identity of its own. And I definitely think that 12 years ago, nobody was using the phrase Puro Pincha in the digital space. And I do know it was actually very hard in the beginning to get anyone to take me seriously because of the name Puro Pincha. Even my own grandma was like shocked that I was using the word pincha everywhere but it was you know it was so just to explain for those who don't understand like like one I'm, I'm gonna hop back to a few things one tumblr yo <laughs> do you still use tumblr I know a lot of people may not know what it is tumblr is a is a blog site um that a lot of people use and sometimes it, it gets viral on twitter from time to time but tumblr is uh, it's kind of like a blog, photo blog site, kind of a mix of those two um, that was super big, super big during the first initial like big boom of, of Facebook and Twitter back in 09. So if anyone remembers. <laughs> MySpace was still around oh when God. Tumblr was uh, right? getting its beginnings. Yeah. So I am dating myself. I mean, Puro Pincha is old. Puro Pincha is old. It's <laughs> I'm not old, of course, but you know, I, <laughs> I definitely will attribute that to me being an OG is that I actually started as a Tumblr blog. And most people nowadays, to your credit would ask what is Tumblr? Um, so yeah, that that does. It's old. Also, um, I did not come up with the phrase puro pincha. Obviously, it is a phrase that has been around for a long time, not only in San Antonio, South Texas, Mexico, LA, you know, but um, used by our ancestors <laughs> to describe a lot of things. But I wanted, I always want to throw that out there because I grew up with that phrase. It's, it is actually really dominant in San Antonio and South Texas, but I did not invent the phrase. You know, you started off in Tumblr and you used Puro Pinche. Now, I know that it's really hard to describe, but the reason why I just want to educate some folks as to why there was possibly some pushback at the start is because Pinche is a, is a, is a bad word in Spanish. So just kind of keep it in mind as she's building this, this brand with a curse word in it that it's it's literally you know out there in the in the public as puro pinche or puro pinche essay and it's not it's not necessarily something that's uh very I guess family friendly in a sense is, is the way brands would probably see it yeah it definitely wasn't in the beginning you know it's kind of weird because when I was younger the word pincha referred to somebody who was like cheap or tight with their money you know so and it, it's a slang term so yeah it definitely can mean a lot of things and the f-bomb is one of them so honestly at the time in 2010 on tumblr there was a big tumblr not started by me but it was called am i allowed to cuss on your show 
Yes, of course you are. You are you are allowed to be free. You will not be bleeped, girl. I told I told Bobby Pulido the same thing. You if you curse, you curse. <laughs> well, well I, hopefully I can get to Bobby Pulido's level someday. But um, you know, uh, so at the time <laughs> there was a huge Tumblr blog called Fuck Yeah Tumblr. So people would post you know crazy things like Fuck Yeah. Chino Moreno, fuck yeah, Spurs, you know, fuck yeah, tacos. You know, it was a national blog. Hundreds, thousands of people <laughs> would reblog it. So, you know, I was like, well, Puro Pincha is the bilingual version of that. You know, it's the Spanish version, Tex-Mex version of fuck yeah. So it really became like a Puro Pincha fill in the blank for whatever we were talking about. So Puro Pincha Fiesta, Puro Pincha Party. In San Antonio, um, an, an older musician who's no longer with us, uh, Randy Garibe, he started Puro Pincha Blues. There's Puro Pincha Conjunto, Puro Pincha Tejano. You know, so it really, uh, I was like, this is a fun, it's actually a way to poke fun at a lot of things only being done in English and by white people and then turning that into something that was very Tex-Mex, Cali-Mex, very, very Mexican-American and being able to run with it because to my knowledge, it hadn't really been on social media in a marketable way before then. I mean, I gotta say, I, I know you, I know you're, you're, you're saying, oh, you know, you don't, you're not at that level. Girl, you're at that level. I want you to know now. <laughs> I mean, my God, you know, like whether it's local brands or national brands, you know, you, you've worked with, with all of them. And, and it, it's just, it's by being as genuine as you are, because a lot of the content that you create, if, if you guys ever go to Puro Pincha SA, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or I don't, do you have a TikTok? I'm going to assume you do. I do. I have uh, Facebook, uh, TikTok. Know. I don't have Tumblr anymore, so <laughs> that's not there. Well, TikTok, I'm assuming you also have a Pinterest. Like, you know, everything that you have as part of the brand of Puro Pinche Essay is just so genuine. And I think that's one of those things that is really hard to find in content creators that are, you know, Latinx, Tejana, Mexicana, that it, it, it can go one of two ways. It can go either really cheesy and it doesn't ring true or it can be fun and it rings true. It can also be cheesy too at the same time, but still like there's some genuine aspects to it. And I, and I feel you've been super successful at that. So I'm curious, how did you develop this Tejana identity? And I mean that in in so much as yourself, like, was there ever any questions of identity that you had as a young adult that as you got into this space made it difficult to kind of teeter that line when you were first starting? Oh, a hundred percent from the day I was born. I'm sure your listeners can hear. I don't have a South Texan accent. <laughs> so, um, you know, I grew up in a Mexican-American family and um, was not intentionally taught Spanish when I was very little because my mom and dad were of the era where when they first went to school, they were reprimanded for speaking Spanish in school. And even that was here in San Antonio at schools that were on 
predominantly Mexican parts of town. So my parents didn't teach us Spanish, so they wouldn't have we wouldn't have to go through all of the repercussions that they went through when they were young kids. So I learned from being chismosa and listening to my grandma and my mom and picking it up when I was very young. So then it, it was always like living. I like, uh, there's a lot of people that have already talked about this, you know, but I like people who describe it as living in the Enya or living in between, you know, you're not Mexican enough. You're not American enough. You don't speak enough Spanish. You don't look Mexican, you know, like there's that whole weird, weird bicultural world that I grew up in. Um, I'm born and raised San Antonian. My mom is from Laredo. My grandparents are from South Texas, uh, Kennedy and Mexico. And so it's like, well, what do you mean? I'm not Mexican enough or I I'm not American enough. Like I'm Tahana. My family has been here for hundreds of years in the area. How can you say I'm not who I really am? And so it took a long time for me to actually be able to find myself in a confident place being in that world in between the two worlds and being able to describe it. So, you know, I didn't graduate high school and call I didn't even graduate college you know I, I still need to finish college but I didn't do that because I didn't know where I was going I didn't know what I wanted to be and I definitely started off as most people do you know working hard I started in food service when I was 16 and then I worked in call centers for a long time and I just always felt like, you know, I have so much more to say. I have so much more that I'm passionate about and I want to talk about my heritage and my culture and I just don't know how to do it. And so I got really lucky to fall into a PR internship probably 2008 and start learning about branding and marketing and then branding my per, myself, you know, um, Nowadays, we call it our personal brand, you know, working on things like that. It was really hard, even when I started in 2010, to figure out who I was as a Mexican-American, as a Latina, talking about that publicly on social media. And I still get it to this day, you know, like people will question the authenticity of what I'm doing. Like, how do you know what it means to be puro? How do you know what goes on in, in San Antonio and South Texas? How do you know how Mexicans really live and, you know, things like that? And it's always a battle. I do think as my name and brand has become more familiar with people, um, I don't get it as much as I used to. Um, but, you know, I still, there's always something people want you to prove, and it's always hard if you don't have like a tangible thing to prove to them. Everything I do is through communication. It's through connections. It's through meeting people in real life, um, being sociable with people. And so it is always like constantly having that conversation about who I am and not having to justify myself, but show the things I'm really passionate about and I know so much about them because I actually have lived them, go through them, see it every day, know what my neighbors, my family, my community goes through. And I want to make sure we are always having those conversations to talk about what it is like to be bicultural, to live in South Texas, to be Mexican-American and make sure that we're seen and heard um, and that we speak up and we don't let anybody else speak for us. So what was your, what was an experience that really stuck with you in regards to the questioning of your identity? 
Oh, man. I, I get that a lot, uh, you know, about how can my brand be called Puro Pincha and I'm not fluent in Spanish. <laughs> I get that all the time. That's a constant experience, a constant battle. And I, I understand Spanish. I speak it not super fluently. I have a husband now who is my translator. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and he helps me practice it a lot more. Um, but I definitely have had to go through that with business because, you know, there's a lot of things that can help minorities. And I hate to say minorities hate, you know, uh, a lot of, there's a lot of resources to help people of color, but it's like, people still want you to prove how much of a person of color you are. So, you know, you can say, Oh yeah, I'm a Latina organizing a music festival. Oh, okay. Well prove to us how Latina you are, you know, things like that. And it's like, that makes absolutely no sense to me. You know, my work experience and ethics and connections to what I'm doing should show you that I'm capable and qualified to do this job. And you shouldn't have to worry about, Oh, well, are, do, you know, how authentically Latina are you? Um, well, it's, it's super funny that you say that because it, it's like, you know what, uh, a brand wouldn't ask a white person to validate whether they can put on a Latinx show or a Hispanic show, if they were, if they got, you know, wild hair up their butt to put up a show or some type of event for people of color, like no brand is going up to them or sponsors telling them, well, can you prove to us that you, uh, that you understand it? They'll just give them the money. For sure. All the time, you know, especially when I was working more heavily in the music industry, you know, it was always like, well, you may be a Latina from San Antonio, but you're not a white Latina in Austin. You know, it, they're, exactly what you're talking about. There's all kinds of things that keep you from being able to uh, fulfill, you know, what you're working on and, and live up to your potential. And you have to work even harder. And then on the other hand, uh, it's also bit me in the butt to work with um, all white males and be the only Latina or token Latina in whatever I'm working on, um, especially when it comes to the music industry, um, you know, because it, it can be used against you. And I've learned a lot of lessons in the last 12, 13, 15 years about choosing partners carefully making sure you have goals and visions that align, but also making sure that the people you're working with are truly good people that are not racist. So it's been... (laughs) It's like there aren't racist. How hard is that, right? How hard is that? You live in San Antonio. But yeah, it's always a struggle. I definitely feel a lot more confident um, now that I've been doing this for over a decade than I did in the beginning. Um, and even when I feel like I was doing a lot more in-person production and events, it was intimidating to be a young Latina in front of so many people. And now that I am on a digital and social platform and technically reaching so many more people, um, you know, like it, it's always a learning experience. And I always want to make sure that I am honoring the people that came before me that have done this, but also being really progressive and trying to move our culture forward in the grand scheme of 
where are the Latinos in things? You know, like I always want to make sure we have a voice, we have a seat at the table. If not, yes, we have to make our own, but we still need to be included at those other tables too. Um, so it's, you know, something I have shifted a lot from starting as a music and arts blog into talking a lot more about community engagement, civic engagement, how we can get involved on election levels, political levels, uh, being on boards, advisories. Myself, is I'm on the board of directors of Planned Parenthood South Texas, and that's just like something I never thought I would get to be a part of. And when you look at Planned Parenthood, traditionally, you did see, you know, a lot of older white people on their boards. And um, I think they've, they've definitely modernized and gone through a lot to get to the point where now they have a very diverse board in all of their cities. Um, and so I'm really proud to represent South Texas as a Latina on the board, but you know, I'm like, you know, Veronique, if we don't uh, talk about it and if we don't let people know about these opportunities and if we don't bring them along with us, then it stays with us and we don't get to continue to have more people, at the table with us. Now, here's something about the table conversation, because I I love that you brought that up, is that, you know, you're either trying to assimilate into a table and you have to decide, honestly, a lot of the times, and this this is just the reality of it. You have to decide how much of your morals... (laughs) <laughs> and your uh, your ideals and how much of these these things that you hold really tight with a with a tight grip are going to be what what you know you keep and what things you will compromise on so that you can get to that next space and i don't think people talk about that enough that when you're trying to to put yourself in a space with other people that there is a certain amount of sacrifice and has there been any sacrifices that you've had to make i am Truly, Pincha. So I will say that I go into a lot of places that I work and try to disrupt things. So, um, you know, I am a lot more confident and comfortable (laughs) in my passions and values to stand up for what I believe in now. But also, yes, there's always a risk, right? Like if you, but if you don't take that risk, you will probably not be forward, move forward, or you'll be stuck in a position that you don't want to be in for a long time. Now, I can say that because I've been in the workforce for over 20 years, but that sounds so horrible to say. I'm not that old, you guys. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you did say you started working at 16, so it's not that bad. It's not that bad. We're fine. I'm in my 30s. Um, But yeah, I started working when I was 16. And so like now, um, I have actually been brought into some companies to change things up and to help them modernize and become more relevant and enter the digital space or figure out what they should be doing correctly for that. And I will say that you are going to have to learn what amount of risk you want to take. I wouldn't necessarily say compromising, but you do, you don't, I don't think you should compromise your beliefs and values, but I think you have to learn how much of a risk you want to take on because that risk exactly could lead you to having to lose your job, not be able to work in a certain industry or 
things that could completely derail what your hopes and dreams were, it, it can happen anytime. And I think, you know, being in San Antonio and being in South Texas, we have a leg up on being able to take those risks because we can still build something on our own. Um, you know, if you want to work in the music industry and you're in LA or New York, it's a lot harder to build something on your own. Whereas where we are, you know, like you can start doing that, stick to your convictions and, and start moving forward with it. And you, you still have to make great connections. And I think a key part of being able to take the risk is that you keep great relationships with everybody and don't burn bridges. Because once you burn that bridge, it is extremely hard to get that trust and relationship back. So whatever you do, you know, be transparent and honest with people and take into account what they might think, but still say what you have to say, pitch your ideas, you know, do be strong, take the risk, but try not to leave a trail, you know, of dust behind you. Don't leave the chaos, you know, behind you when you're trying to move forward. And I think like we said, you know, the more people you can bring with you to that table, you'll have a team of people behind you or with you to help you move things forward instead of having to worry about doing things all by yourself all the time. So I truly believe in, you know, collaboration and partnerships and helping each other out, especially um, amigas, Latinas, you know, like we, comadres, we have to help each other out because there are so few seats for us. I used to work in the tech industry and in the tech industry, 23% of the tech industry is women, 2% are Latinas. So it was even tougher than to, you know, try to make your way up. Um, and I was in the marketing and, community engagement world in tech and not even, you know, a developer. So it's extremely hard. And, and to think that you have to do it all by yourself or can only do it by yourself will also get you nowhere. You do have to collaborate. You have to work together with people. Um, and hopefully they'll be willing to take that risk with you. So it's interesting because I've noticed, at least personally, there are certain things and, and maybe that's where like the risk and the relationship is. There are certain things that, um, I would call it compromising, but I call it compromising in a good way that there have been things that I had the mentality of a young person and I went into it wanting to set flames to everything <laughs> because I wanted, because I wanted to disrupt, but yet not realizing how many things were going on behind the scenes, how things worked. And so that's where I felt I'm like, okay, I'm making a compromise to understand your point of view instead of going in there and absolutely wrecking shit and hoping that, <laughs> hoping that I, I still come out of it. And that's where I'm like, okay, that's where I'm like, okay, in these corporate spaces, sometimes I have to give and take. Sometimes I have to be chill. Sometimes I have to like, you know, just treat everything a little differently because at the end of the day, it, it comes down to how you act. How, how do you move in a space? 
And I agree it's you not perfect. need to compromise when it comes to how the relationship will work. I was just trying to say just don't compromise your values and and not and you know what you're passionate about. I'm not even gonna lie, sometimes my values are whack. <laughs> well and you learn and you learn. That's why I'm saying if you don't burn a bridge and you maintain a great relationship with someone, you'll learn from each other. And yeah, when I was younger and when I first started Puto Pincha, I was the same way. I was like, oh, everything sucks. I'm going to do this. I'm going to help, you know, us. I'm going to help our events get to this level. I'm going to bring these musicians nobody's ever seen before. I'm going to work with the community because national media sucks and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, yeah, you know, I thought, man, why doesn't anybody in San Antonio look outside and see what this city's doing, this city's doing. And then you have to learn, you know, how things got to that point who were the people that came before you what did they do what did they try to change you know and a lot of the times you just find out that changing things takes a long time and it doesn't happen overnight and you have to (sighs) build things and you have to keep at it and honestly it's another question that I always get asked you know like why are you still in San Antonio? Why did you stay in San Antonio? You know, you could go work for an agency out of anywhere, and but why are you here? And exactly, you have to have people that are willing to stay and commit and change the course of where things are going if we know they are old ways or they're not ways that are working for the majority and we need to help be a part of that um you know i i wanted to work in the music industry and i knew that from a very young age but i knew well i'm not a musician so if i want to be in it i'd have to be in marketing and i can't learn that here in san antonio there weren't any programs for it in colleges at the time i had to look outside of the state really because even then at the time in Austin there were only junior colleges that were offering courses and uh, degrees for things like that so you know I had to make a decision and I also have have a son so that was part of my decision is having my family here in San Antonio because San Antonio is an amazing place for families Um, but you know it was a big decision to say like look I can actually build things here. I can help build our community. I can help do things in the music industry in San Antonio that haven't been done in a long time that, you know, nobody else is trying to work on bringing people together. And so you have to make that decision and just know, okay, it's not always going to happen when I want it to happen, but I need to be a part of the conversation. And the whole reason why I started Puto Pincha was because I didn't see my friends' art shows and music gigs in the current and on Ken's and KSAT and Express News. I didn't see those things there unless they paid to advertise. And my whole goal was to make sure that the whole city knew all the amazing untapped things that were going on in San Antonio without them having to pay without them having to pay for it and that there was more to San Antonio than Spurs and Fiesta and the Riverwalk now that that's something that that's occurred and you know it's funny that you say 10 years do you do you feel that there's a there's truth in the saying that anything that you want to do usually like if you want to be successful at it for some reason takes 10 years to get really big in yeah (laughs) I do. And also another part of it is 
sustaining it, you know, like, yeah, anybody can like blow up and make a name for themselves overnight in a year. But how long does it last? You know, I think if you want to build something lasting, it definitely takes 10 years to see it from beginning to growth and success and something that you can keep and continue on with instead of how I mean, since in the 12 years that I've had Purupincha, so many people doing similar things have come and gone. And obviously, maybe they're not maybe they're not as foolish as I am either to stick with it and, you know, figure out how to make money. If I wasn't making money, could I still be passionate enough about it to keep it up? And all of the ups and downs in between, it's really hard. Most, you know, most small businesses, they don't make it past one or two years. And so you have to take a lot of things into account. But I would definitely say that 10 years shows that you can sustain yourself and that there's obviously a niche for you. People want what you have. So side note. Um, for anyone, it took Selena 10 years before she made it big. So just think about that. It's like the proof is in the pudding. And, and that's why I was asking about that 10 year thing, because I'm, I'm going on nine. I'm going on nine. <laughs> so that's where I'm saying like, you have one year. And now we have decided this is my year because on my 10th year, we were in the pandemic. <laughs> so <laughs> We're redoing your tenure. We're redoing it. The last two years don't count, so now I'm in my tenth year. Um. <laughs> but it's it, it's interesting that that particular phenomena, and it's and I was I was I just find it so funny because being in a relationship with a city is a lifelong commitment, y'all. As much as I joke about it, it is a commitment. It's a it's a commitment. Of, of high proportions. And so like, not only are, are you doing this, you know, this brand, but then on top of that, you know, you're raising a child. And so what are the things that you're doing differently now that maybe you wish that you had had as a child yourself? Wow. Well, you know, I, I definitely think San Antonio along with like a lot of cities, you know, is not a very connected city. So there is a big divide between the richest part of town and the poorest part of town. And I feel like obviously not everyone can move to all sides of town to experience it. But my parents did a decent job of taking us around to see different parts of the city when I was younger. But they also did that because they had to work. And they had to take us with them or they had to take us to my Wella's house, you know, to be babysat. And I don't think we got to understand all the different parts of the city and how everybody is connected. You know, now having a higher level view with Puro Pincha and, you know, learning how the community is connected or not connected. You know, I definitely wish um, that me and my family had known how to truly explore and appreciate our city And that's what I wish for everybody. You know, I wish that people can see that they have neighbors all around the city that don't live like them. They have different housing, different education, different community resources, different arts, music, you know, different parts of culture. And that it's really something that you should do is get out and get to know all of your city so you can have that relationship with your city and you can explore it and you can know 
that you fully understood your city before you moved somewhere else or, you know, when you invited people to come visit you or you understood why your city functions the way it does. Um, I definitely think that we traveled San Antonio out of necessity when I was younger, but I would have liked to get to know all the cultural parts, um, all the communities and, and just see the different areas that help you build yourself into a better person. And that's what you do with your child currently. Like that's that's kind of the difference in 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 the thing is that you you're making them experience their city so that they're well rounded on it. I have dragged my son to everything I've ever gone to. <laughs> I love how you say dragged. I love how you say dragged. When he gets older, he's gonna be like, oh yeah, I'm good. But like right like now, that now, yeah, he he's like that now. I had my son when I was young. He's 18. He's very introverted. He knows where he does and doesn't want to go, but he does know a lot about what goes on in society because he got to see all of those events firsthand. He got to come with me to council meetings when I worked for city council. He's been involved in local and national election campaigns with me. He's, I wouldn't say he's super well-rounded, but he at least has insight into a lot more things at his age than I did when I was younger. So, um, you know, he, he's gotten involved. He, he's volunteered. He's helped me with social media. He's learned a lot just being able to see all of those different aspects of a community that even a lot of his friends have never seen because, you know, they live in one side of town, they go to school, they come home from, you know, from school, their parents work, they come home, they stay at home. Um, maybe on the weekends they go out to eat, but they don't get to truly explore the heart and soul of a city. So I think a lot of kids, you know, don't get to experience that until they leave the house or until they go to college. Now that you're in this space in your 30s, you feel, you know, a little uh, very secure. You, you can tell not just in the content that you create, but also just in, in how you talk, that you're very secure in, in who you are and, and what, you, what you've built, the legacy that you've built. So what would you tell content creators or, or anyone that's just trying to figure out their, their identity within the Mexican-American Tejana space? And they're wanting to create something, whether it's art, whether it's music, whether it's, you know, just TikTok videos. And they're, and they're just feeling so self-conscious about their decisions. I have a lot to say to people that are just starting. <laughs> but I think a very important thing is to remember to be yourself and not try to imitate what you see out there because it isn't always authentic. But also you won't get noticed or discovered by being like everybody else. You really need to be authentically you. You need to be puro, right? Like you need to keep things real. But here's the other side of that. You do need to look out there and see what there is because you don't want to claim that you're the first to do something. You're the only to do something. And there's thousands of other people doing the exact same things that you're doing. So I, I definitely think you... Everyone has to take content creation and social media from the point of view that it is a learning experience every single day. Things change so fast in the digital landscape that you have to continue learning every day. You have to do research. You have to look at what's the latest trend. You know, what are people creating 
you know, that have come before me? What can I do differently? But how can I stay true to myself while I'm doing that? Um, and I think it goes a long way. You know, like you said, there are, there are um, like probably thousands and thousands of Latina creators on social media. How do you distinguish between them, right? You can't just come out and say, oh yeah, I'm a Latina content creator. Um, look at me do all things Latina because there are so many people doing that. What makes you uniquely Latina? What can you, you know, what are your passions? What are you creative about? And put that into the content that you're creating now, I also want to say that you can't assume you're going to make money off of being a content creator. I know like when my son was a few years younger, he was like, I'm going to be a Twitch streamer and thought like that is a career path, which it is. But you have to be you still have to know yourself, know what sets you apart and like be very passionate and hardworking about it. You know, like you still have to learn all the ins and outs of streaming, of video creation. To me, it's, it's a lot of learning and not worrying about if you're going to know it all, but at least knowing that you have done research, that you've started to go down the path of actually trying to educate yourself about what is going on. Don't worry about what people say because there's always going to be criticism um, you know, don't let it get you down. If there is constructive criticism, definitely accept it, but learn that you can still be you and have people coach you through things. You can learn things, be different, be creative without having to copy everybody else that's out there. I find it funny that you're saying, you know, there was, you know, he wanted to be a, a Twitch streamer and, and he thought that that was just going to be immediate, you know, immediate money. And And I think that's one of those things. Every time I went to school tours because I was doing school tours prior to the pandemic that was one of those things I had to like I told them what I did I told them I did YouTube videos I told them I was on Twitch you know I told them all this stuff they're like oh my god that's what I want to do when I grow up and I'm like yeah figure out something that you're passionate about that kind of fits within that field and then get into it don't and and I was I always try not to use the word don't because then they're like oh I'm gonna do it but like like I always tried to veer them in the direction of you know just have something else as well like be passionate about what you're passionate about if you're passionate about Legos if you're passionate about YouTube videos learn how to edit learn how to edit videos learn how to you know do the captions on your own stuff like all of those are skills that will lead to something they just don't know it yet because I remember when I was oh my god I was uh, I was in high school and you know I went into high school thinking because I went to a magnet program. And for those who don't know what magnet programs are, those are like programs that you specifically apply for at a high school that it's a particular field. So I, I wanted to be in the fine arts magnet and a specialty of choir because I was a singer and I wanted to learn more about singing. But there came a time when I had to move departments and it was the scariest thing in the world. And I went into media tech and that's all like TV and radio and learning about everything in the back end, everything in the front end, everything in the middle, how to write scripts, how to do press releases, all that good stuff. Now I'm looking at where I'm at now and there were so many decisions I made, so many opportunities that, I mean, I would have never thought at 14, 15, you know, that those decisions would lead me to have a very successful career in a lot of different fields, I'm going to say, <laughs> you know, being, being able to, you know, be on camera 
and, and being able to kind of like be on my mark and, and do things like that in front of a camera is not as easy as you think. You know, the TV shows that you watch, there's a lot of things that go on with those. But I learned that at 14, 15 years old and then continued that skill. And that was the thing. It's like, okay, you have to learn the skill to be able to, to apply it later. And it goes back to 10 years. So like every 10 years, your skill will grow and your acumen will grow in a particular field of study or field of focus. Yeah, and you have so, to put the time in. You have to be diligent about learning. And and exactly, it doesn't always have to be in school. There are a lot of technical programs and things you can learn at college or at a technical school, or there's a lot of things online that you can learn, teach yourself. Now there's all kinds of workshops, certifications, programs, or just asking if you can get a mentor, if you can get someone to help guide you, somebody who's been doing this already, you know, like there's all kinds of different resources out there, but learning is a huge part of it. And learning, like you said, you know, to be well-rounded, to have multiple skills. We've also seen that social media can quickly go down and what will you do without it? You know, like it's when people, you know, when Instagram and Facebook and everything shuts down for a day, you know, what are you going to do when that happens? Cause it's going to happen again. You know, you have to have skills that will help you. I think communication is an extremely important skill when you are learning to be a creator and working with social media because a lot of people lack that skill and they just think it's just a one-way street, but that is not the way social media and communication works. You need to learn how to communicate and how not to communicate. <laughs> you need to learn when to do it and when to shut up. Yes. <laughs> there are a lot of times more than often that you need to listen and you can learn a lot through listening. And also you can gain a lot of respect from listening and not trying to assert yourself um, or push your way into things. You know, I think it does, it comes with experience, but there are so many tools out there to help you get started. So you're not starting from complete scratch and you don't feel like you're doing this all by yourself. And there's very few things that anyone can uniquely say are theirs, that they're the only one doing. So there's so many ways to reach out and find help to get you started. Now, has there been anything within the space that has been questionable to you that you've ever just called out for what, for it being questionable? And, and how did you feel doing that? As a content creator? Yes. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, like I've harped on, you know, like a lot of things out there are not authentic. If I feel like if a lot more people were transparent, then we would have more trust in social media and digital media, right? So, you know, for a long time, it was a gray area on, is this a paid sponsored collaborative post or not? But literally that has not been a question for a few years now. So if you are working with a brand or an organization or a product or an, a, an outlet, you know, media outlet, you should disclose that. You should let people know that, you know, you do have a bias because you're getting paid or you, you know, you're working with someone. And I feel like so many people still don't do that. They're not being authentic. And so when people find out exactly, then they lose their trust or they say things like, I hate influencers. I hate content creators. They're so 
fake, you know, like everything they do is just for clicks, is just for money. Just like, obviously, we hear it all the time in the news and from politicians about how there's clickbait and crazy headlines. And and it's true. Like, I mean, coming from working in media and PR and being on the social media side of things, you know, like there are so many ways that you can grab attention without being fake or using clickbait. And I think that's why there's just so much distrust right now in social media because you don't know what's real or not. And I have that pet peeve every day. And, uh, you know, I, I am not one to publicly call out people, but if somebody asks me an opinion on someone, you know, whether they, if it's professional or unprofessional, I'll definitely give my opinion on that. But like I said, it's all about being sustainable. Are those people going to last five, 10 years? Probably not. It won't last forever. And that's kind of why we're at this point in my life, like people always, they knew me as, as the person that was just saying stuff and not just saying stuff just out of my butt, but like, you know, genuinely like coming out and, and having a, a legitimate discussion about what's going on and, and why I felt it was wrong and, and how I saw things. And I mean, I've, I have gotten into heated debates with people who were older than me, who, you know, had more time and experience. And I had to just be like, okay, we can agree to disagree. We don't always have to agree, but at least as, as long as you respect me, I'm going to totally give you the same respect back to hear you out. It's kind of one of those things like you have to kind of teeter that balance because sometimes people are just hella disrespectful, period. So you can't be nice all the time. And so it's interesting because when those things play out on social media, I'm definitely trying to do it less, like to the point where during the pandemic, I just, I just stuck to myself. I didn't say too much. I really just really hardcore kept it to myself, you know, deleted a lot of ways to contact me because I didn't want to be contacted anymore. I didn't want to be tagged and stuff anymore that I felt like people knew, like people tag you or put you into something and you see it and you go, okay, this is triggering me. <laughs> and it's just, it's sometimes it's purposeful. Like people know and they, and they want the drama and they'll tag you to it. And the only thing I can say in response to that is that if you see it going on or, you know, you, if I'm, if I say anything, it's because yeah, like, yeah, and I'm going to, and I feel like it's worth to say something, but I've moved into this space over the last two, three years where I'm saying a lot less and like things are happening. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like hands in the air, like, see, see, <laughs> exactly. And, and like I said, this comes from a place of experience. I used to run my mouth all the time too, when I first started Puro Pincha and, you know, and I got, and it wasn't necessarily like calling people out, but I would voice a lot more of my opinions. And so there was always, you know, it's my opinion. So there's definitely always people with differing opinions. And there was a lot of back and forth. If somebody was doing something that was in my business that I didn't like, I definitely would speak up. But I have learned, you know, to be very professional nowadays, because you never know when it'll come to bite you in the butt. And I feel like if I had gotten into a lot of uh, that drama, petty, unprofessional things that I would not have the great working partnerships that I have now, because no brand is going to want to work with you if you're 
causing drama all the time, you know, and not just brands, you know. Wait, wait, wait. You say that, but some brands are perfectly fine with that. And they're like, okay, fine. You're getting the clicks. Maybe our stuff will get clicks. So it's, it's a tightrope. And then that depends on what kind of brand, right? Like, does that, do you align yourself with that brand? Is that somebody you're going to want to work with? Also, is that a risk that you want to take to only assume that you will ever work with that brand and not the majority of people who don't align themselves with that. So like I said, everything is the risk you want to take and what you align yourself with, what you see for yourself. Because yeah, I mean, there are like, if I wanted to be on TMZ every day, I would be causing drama and working with crazy outlandish brands all the time. That's not me, but there's something out there for everyone. So it's super crazy to see how there's like, all kinds of levels of influencers now. And when I started, influencer wasn't even a marketing word. It wasn't even a term for, for, a, for a job or anything like that. Like now it's just so different. You know that little emoji, the little wallet with the little wings on it just flying away? That's me right now. I'm the advertiser. This is an ad for me. Veronique. Go listen to my album. I have two out right now, Crying and La Novela off of Next Gen Latinx Records. All jokes aside, please go listen to the music on your favorite streaming platform or buy it online at veroniquemedrano.com. And I mean it. Go listen to it. Go listen to it at your mom's house. Because I mean, if you don't listen to her, at least listen to me. And that's been your paid ad. Where do you see the environment going for, because I still see this vacuous space, you know, Latinos aren't getting the million subscribers, you know, the million followers. It's a lot of Anglo content creators. And it's like, I look at the space and I go, there is still a lot of room for, you know, Latino Mexican content creators, because it's like whether they're English speaking, whether they're bilingual, I just don't see them. Like I don't see them at that level. And maybe it's it could be a regional thing, but still like no, not many people from the States who fit in that space. You know, it's not as like, what would we say? Like widespread. It's, it's not like, you know, you have X, let's just say on one hand, you have a hundred different Anglo or white content creators. And for, you know, people of color, there's at least like 20 or 30 that are like real big. And it, it's such a big disparity. I think it's, you know, representative of all industries as a whole. The Latino representation is not there. Um, so, you know, I used to go to a conference um, called Hispanicize every year and they held it in Miami. And that is a, now it's in LA, but that is a conference that is, solely focused on content creators, media, entertainers, people that are working in marketing, um, digital media, journalists that are all Latinx. So um, was a big conference and that really opened my eyes to seeing, you know, there were thousands of people that would attend that conference every year, like at least 3000 every year, pre-pandemic, obviously. Um, it's, it's shifted to virtual, but that was 
how I felt before I went there. I was like, there, where are the other Latinos like me that are doing this in this digital space? Or I could count them on one hand, you know, that I saw these super creators that were Latino. And, and, and then people started to see more of them because then they founded platforms like Me Too and Pero Like and BuzzFeed Latino. And so a lot more people came about, but they haven't been sustainable. Uh, Fusion just ended. Me Too has been embroiled in a lot of drama. So has, you know, Hip Latina. And uh, I think it goes back to like, unfortunately, and I hate to use this term, it's, it's kind of like crabs in a bucket. That while that, yes, there are some big brands, they're big. And now they're like these big marketing, social media content creating brands. When you talk to the creators, when you talk to the creators who worked for them, and now you see how they're treating, you know, situations with the unions and they're trying to crack down on even more content creators and how they make money on the side because these companies aren't paying them well or they don't pay them for months or years for most of that viral content that we all got super big into you know like there was this there was this one girl who like played an abuela and uh, and she was also the voice actress for, I mean, and then there was another one that was a voice actress for, I think it was the same, no, different chick, voice actress for the Selena series, the Selena Netflix series. I mean, both of them have stories about how, you know, these brands, these big Latino companies didn't treat them well. And it's like, that's the kicker, is that as great as it is to see these faces in the space, they have to leave and then attempt to build their own space because they don't get the right equity that let's just say their Anglo counterparts would get. Let's just say a Buzzfeed or something to that effect. And it, and it becomes just this cycle of doesn't matter how big you are, you can still get screwed. Exactly. I can only imagine, I have a really good friend who works for Remescla and Remescla has had its own internal drama. And that being said, <sighs> everybody that works there is Latinx. So, you know, it's, it's like, what are the real struggles? Um, I truly believe that it is representation as a whole for Latinos is very low. And we have to fight so hard to get into these positions that we end up fighting each other, you know? So I think it's a really, really, really tough position to be in. And I hope, you know, like little by little, we are chopping away at that. Um, you know, like even within the Heights, like the movie, you know, Lin-Manuel has this fully Latinx cast, but yeah, he didn't realize that he wasn't representing the neighborhood that they were filming about through the skin tones that were in the movie. And, you know, there's so much, it's so difficult because I know it's cliche already, but, you know, everybody says, like, Latinos are not a monolith. There are so many different types of Latinos. You cannot put us all under one lump category and say, here, this is your piece of the pie. This is your piece of the flan. And it's hard. It's hard to market. And that, and I think that's why that's one of the biggest reasons why it's hard to market to that demo, uh, to that demographic, to that group of people, for those who don't know what demo or demographic is, uh, to that grouping of, of folks, because, you know, Mexican Americans are very different than you know, marketing to a Mexican-American and marketing to a Mexican national who is an immigrant, 
totally different kinds of marketing. Right. Um, same thing can go for, for Latino born in the U.S. Uh, who are Spanish speakers. And then those who are not Spanish speakers and then those who are immigrants. And then where did they immigrate from? Like, yo, it, it becomes like a like just a breaking apart over and over and over and over again. And yes, sometimes you do need some broad strokes that is similar within each part, but it's not an easy pick. It just isn't. It, it, is, it isn't a, an easy way to do it. And that's where like questions of identity will always come up. Questions of, of whether you are truly what you say you are will always come up. And it's not just, oh, well, if I speak a few lines in Spanish, um, I'm going to say right now, that's not enough. Yeah. I shouldn't be defined by the language that I speak, but if I speak it, you know, it shouldn't be just, it shouldn't be just that. There's more to me. And I, I always hate it when people like start going, well, are you Mexican? Are, is your family from Mexico? I'm like, why do you think I even say this? Like, do you think that I just decided to make up a whole genealogy tree? Do you think that like I don't have relatives who visit from, you know, these different areas? Yeah. And, and it becomes a whole fight. I mean, I can understand if you're a white woman, <laughs> why you wouldn't make those things up. <laughs> I mean, but, but it's even then like, like even for, you know, Anglo presenting Mexicans and Latinos, it isn't, it is unfortunate, but they get to pass. They don't get as much hate and they don't get as much critique and they don't get as much criticism as, you know, darker skinned Latinos and Mexicans. To me, you know, like I, I was, I was subjected to that because me and both my parents are all, uh, like complected Latinos, but my parent, like my mom's first language is Spanish. My dad speaks, spoke nothing but Spanish. So, you know, like they grew up working in the Mercado here in San Antonio. And, um, you know, it's always, it's always baffled me to think that people will just discriminate you based on the color of your skin. That's the world we live in, you know, and professionally as Latinos, Latinas, you know, like don't even want to get started on Latinx because I don't even think that is a real controversy. It's ridiculous that we fight over using that word. And there is so like Latinx and Latine or Latine, um, you know, are, are terms that have a very clear place in our history. You know, just just go read a book. I mean, that's that's all I got to say on the subject. <laughs> just go read a book. And like we just said, you know, like you cannot categorize every single Latino under those two labels. Like you can't, it's not talking about everybody. It's not meant for everybody. You have to realize that like there are specific reasons why certain terms are used. Um, and you're just going to piss people off no matter what. Did you ever get accused of white passing? Did you ever, is that ever come up now, especially as the conversations have changed with representation in, in media and, and how do you feel that you not combat it, but how do you deal with that? Oh yeah. Latinas I know that are light complected themselves have told me I'm white passing and sure. Yeah. You know, like I totally understand, um, I have not had the same discrimination against me because I do not have a darker skin tone, but I have been discriminated against my whole entire life. So, you know, it's hard for me to say, well, like I got off easy because my skin's lighter or, you know, anything like I have literally been discriminated against my whole entire life 
for one or the other of being not American enough, not Mexican enough, you know, so it's always, uh, I mean, I literally had to go through all of grade school saying my last name as Gara just so I wouldn't be corrected for rolling my R's. You know, just crazy little stupid things like that. To be honest, I just ignore it. Because I can acknowledge that on my own because I know my own skin color and I would say that things would are diff- would be different if I wasn't always being very vocal on behalf of my Latin community. But because I am always trying to fight for, you know, just like civil rights, human rights, things like that, voting rights, I don't really let that bother me if anybody does say it. But it is kind of few and far between. And I think that adds to it. You know, I think if I did things differently and I lived a very privileged life and I also displayed that on social media, that I would probably get a lot more of that. But I am a pretty humble middle class influencer. <laughs> so <laughs> hey, you know what? We're all we're at the end of the day, we're all humble, humble influencers in a grand scheme of things, you know. I do talk a lot about daily struggles and daily life on Puro Pincha, so I I think people notice that I don't have a lot of privilege over anybody else. Um, you don't have a Rolls Royce. I'm so I'm so disappointed. I, I just I felt like you'd have a Birkin. I know. I am. I am. I'm crying inside. Honestly, I want you treat to have the yourself <laughs> when you can. You know, like treat yourself when you can. But I feel like if I'm like constantly fighting for things like affordable housing and immigrant rights and things like that every day, that I'm probably not gonna walk around with a five thousand dollar purse. But who knows? You know, I don't know. I say that now, but maybe when I turn fifty, I want to treat myself and buy myself a Fendi bag. Who knows? But what happens if I was working for Gucci? You're still working for a corporate Italian company. Damn it. (laughs) I mean, if you want to give me a bag, give me the bag. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. But all jokes aside, you're like, thank you. You have gifted me gold. (laughs) Gifted. And then I would turn around and sell it and pay for my car. There we go. There we go. I'm, look, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah. Look, look at me. I, look even at me. though my uh, brand is called Puro Pincha, I definitely believe in putting money back into your community, shopping local, yeah. shopping Latinx designers, creators, vendors, artists. My mom, you know, sells flower crowns. She's always been a very uh, arts and craft oriented person. She's an artisan, you know, like she goes to markets trying to get her jewelry and everything online. And I truly believe there is so much power in supporting your Latina community and making sure we put the money back where it needs to be. I I think, I think too, like you're probably a lot like me. We want everything to be perfect before we execute it. (sighs) Yes. Sometimes that hinders us, you know, and we just need to do it. We just need to get it out there. And not wait. I I think that was my thing for sure. Absolutely. I completely 100% agree because like I stopped doing a lot of my YouTube videos. I stopped doing a lot of stuff because I just didn't like how it looked. It looked so weird and so off. And I'm like, nobody's going to like this. This It's so strange. Like, what am I doing? And I just, I got in my head to the point. I just, I said 
this year, you know, it's it's now a new year and I and I said, you know, I'm going to just do everything I want to do even if I do it badly. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's my that's my mission in life. Do everything. Do it badly. Do it great. I don't even care. I don't even care. Don't even care. But you've learned from each bad experience. So then you get better, you know? Like I think that's what Exactly. And that's and that is the fear. I, I will totally agree with you. That is the fear that, you know, I'm gonna do it so horribly that it's gonna be just like a train wreck. And and ninety nine point nine percent of the time it's not. Like I said before, you know, my experience makes it to where, you know, I'm not a complete newborn calf in the world, like all just bit all full of gunk and just trying to figure out how to walk. Like I'm, I'm a little bit of like, I've, I've been out five hours and I'm clean now. <laughs> so I'm a little better off. <laughs> but just to wrap it up, um, I do just wholly appreciate just your, your candidness, your openness. And I would love for you to share with anyone listening, what do you feel life is accordion to you? That is like the million dollar question, right? (laughs) But I will say in my young old age that I truly believe life is about your connections and the people around you and who you surround yourself with and they help fulfill you and show you love and show you sometimes tough love. But, you know, you have to be willing to be open to have other people in your life besides yourself, that that's going to be the most meaningful thing to me. Materialistic things, digital space things, work, you know, all of those things are great and they help keep us alive and have money so we can do the things we love to do. But um, I definitely think it's about relationships and having meaningful relationships in your life to help fulfill you um, and have you be a loving, compassionate person your whole life. Well, thank you so much, Stephanie, a.k.a. Puro Pinche Ese, <laughs> for keep it, puro. <laughs> keep it puro. That's that that is at the end of it all. Keep it puro. Stephanie, tell people where they can get their Puro Pinches SA vibes from online. Because we've been talking about online content creation, and we haven't even told them where to go. Where do they go? True. Well, I um, if you just search Puro Pincha, you'll find me. I had to add the SA on some of the handles because for some reason, people started a Puro Pincha account and never, ever once used it. So they're sitting out there, but that's not me. You will definitely see me. I have a little cartoon drawing of my face. I post about all kinds of things on my social media, especially tacos. And you can find me right now on all of the things, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, Pinterest, YouTube, I'm even on H-E-B's YouTube, so that's pretty fun. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, that's a flex. That's a flex. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but if you type in Puro Pincha, you'll see me, Stephanie, come up and make sure to give me a follow. Thank you so much for for joining the podcast, telling us life accordion to you. And as always, everybody, puro amor, puro besos, puro tejano. Thank you for listening to Accordion to Me. The team behind this week's episode includes mixing and editing by Juan Pablo Diaz, theme music by Rodrigo Montalvo, produced by Javi G from MD Media. 
in-person recordings were done at the Potify studios and remotely through Riverside FM. Accordion to Me is distributed through Anchor, and you can stream Accordion to Me wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. I'm your host and executive producer, Veronique Medrano. Puro amor, puro besos, puro text mix.